theater and the campers went home. <laughs> The following are dramatized accounts. Sources used here and elsewhere in this episode, as well as more information, can be found on the Ballyrev Encrypted Wildlife Protection Agency article, Atmospheric Beasts. December 24, 1999. Vitebsk, Belarus. High in the sky, it ominously hovered. The behemoth floated among the clouds, oblivious to those who watched below. On the ground, two people stood in awe, eyes fixated on its alien form. Not many spot sky squids when they descend this low, though during breeding season, they are more bright and colorful, even to the human eye. Amorous, its skin shone the color of a late sunset, blues, reds, and oranges. Still, in cloud shape, it would have gone unnoticed had it not stretched out its head and arms. Semi-transparent, the clouds it drifted in front of shone through its body, obscured more by bands and balls of organs. Bewildering to those unfamiliar with cryptids, the sighting was attributed to some sort of sharp wingless, and asymmetrical aircraft with a bulbous backside, an unidentified flying craft. The sighting was only a brief three or four seconds, the viewing ending with the atmospheric beast seemingly dissolving into nothingness. January 20th, 2010. Andens, Norway. Amateur photographer Nicholson was out late one night photographing the northern lights. Later, he realized that some of his photos depicted a jellyfish. It floated next to the green, shimmering bands of the aurora. Initially believing the jellyfish was due to a smudge on his camera lens, he was soon proven wrong. Contacted by numerous experts, the photographer was assured that the image was not created by a camera issue or the Northern Lights. In fact, it was unlikely that the Northern Lights or the camera could have created the optical effect on their own or together. Could the oddity have been created by a satellite reflecting the Aurora's light? In short, no. If the jellyfish was a reflection, it was the wrong color, too small, and, unlike iridium flares, The northern lights are 100,000 times weaker than sunlight, more comparable to moonlight. Unknown. Above North America. Pouring over NASA's archive of film, photos, and other media, the Alien Disclosure Group discovered thousands of anomalies. Some even looked like strange flying serpents, fish, bugs, and jellyfish, floating or swimming, shining like a beam of light, and glowing a variety of colors. Have you ever seen something strange in the sky? or perhaps in a nighttime photo. A bug that also doesn't look like a bug. A translucent thing you catch only a glimpse of. A cloud that does not move like a cloud. An unsettling blip on the horizon. People once thought that the bottom of the ocean was devoid of life, too extreme for anything to exist, too lightless, too cold too crushing, too empty. They were wrong. Even four miles down into the ocean's depths, life exists. Mirroring this mysterious place, there is a similar ecosystem high in the sky, filled with animals parallel to those marine creatures found far, far below.
In the Field is brought to you in part by the Ballyraven Patreon and its generous supporters, agents, and donors, patrons of Ballyraven Art, and listeners like you. You can keep up to date with current BCWPA research, as well as submit information and sightings of your own, by visiting the Ballyraven Cryptid Wildlife Protection Agency website, or messaging the organization on Instagram at InTheFieldPod. Educational resources are available for free to all. You're listening to BCWPA Radio. How's it going? How's, uh, how's your weekend? Well, it was Halloween, and I bought 800 pieces of candy. I bought a frog costume. I put it on. <laughs> I got the bowl of candy. I went outside, and there was nobody. But, you know, I was looking around, and oh, there was no. no one else sitting on their porch. To the right is the busiest street, and then on the left is a really busy bar. And I just thought, you know, maybe this isn't the best place for kids to come trick-or-treating no you're just so excited to hand out candy not thinking that oh man this is a really dangerous neighborhood you know yeah well you know i had really really hoped to meet my neighbor there's this person that lives above us i've never seen him i think it's him i've heard him walking around and talking to himself and i hear him coming down the stairs And he coughs so loud and upsettingly that I'm always thinking, should I go and check on him? But every time I go to the window, he's already gone. Never seen him. What if it's not a him? What if it's it? He's a ghost or he's living in the, the walls of that apartment. And when those people leave, the actual folks that live there... He comes out, I don't know, uses their toothbrush or does, I don't know. I actually, funny story, I was living in an apartment in Pittsburgh and I had someone come into my apartment and use our dishes, like use my dishes and then just leave them out. They didn't even wash it? No. How rude. No. It, it, It was, it was very, very rude. And... I was afraid they were, like, using my toothbrush and I would throw it away. And it was just, like, it was an interesting time in my life. Well, here's the thing about this mystery person above me. The walls in this house are super, super thin. I hear everything that goes around in everyone around me's life. I would hear this person uh, walking around. Like, I I knew exactly where they were because they would just stop. It was real strange, but... A family recently moved in that same apartment. And I don't hear the stomping anymore, but I can hear them run the water and like take a shower and use the restroom and talk. And I I never heard most of that. I mean, I heard him whispering sometimes, but I never heard him use pots and pans, anything like that. Was there a person up there? What what was going on? I just have more questions. Ugh, ghost man. Ghost man. It's okay. You know what happened, though? They moved in, and he probably just moved into, um, I don't know, like your closet or something. Well, anyway, did you, like, get to dress up? Well, not exactly. I did, however, I had quite an interesting trip. Well, I did get to dress up, but it was in western New York where I reside. I took a trip to Italy. I dressed up as a bat because bats are my favorite. Uh, so I took a trip to Italy. So I went to celebrate Halloween with my friend, Count Orlock, and the colony of his uh, blood-sucking besties. So like, um, it was like, on- like vampires? 
It was yeah, they were vampires. I I just hung out with a bunch of vampires, actual vampires on Halloween. They know how to party, like for sure. It's definitely weird. It was actually under a two thousand year old temple, uh, which they have taken up to call uh, the Vatican. Ew. What did they like? What kind of food? Because is it just like blood jello? Did they cater I, this party with blood extravaganzas? I um, mentally blocked out that aspect of my visit, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't legal, like whatever it was. But the rest of the time, the non-feasting part was great. Absolutely. And it was just like a very unique experience. Did they did they run you around real fast like Edward Cullen? Hmm. You know what? If you mention Twilight in front of actual vampires, it, you will not have a great time. Can you answer and one question? I can answer, yes, I'll answer a question since we are friends. I what, will answer this question. What happens if a werewolf gets bit by a vampire? Man. Have you seen the Underworld movies? <laughs> no. Yeah, they just turn into a hybrid, which... They didn't want to do that with me, I know. I I asked, and, you know, it's just, it's rude. If they wanted to do it, if they wanted to turn me, they would. But, I don't know, there's always been this weird bad blood between werewolves and vampires, but the Count and I, you know, have always just been on good terms. We respect each other, and he had to talk with his colony uh, to let me in. Um, but yeah, I had a good time on the way back from Italy. I was honestly stunned and thrilled to have witnessed an extremely, um, elusive creature called air rods. Speaking of air rods. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Can air rods become vampires? Oh my God. Wait, can air rods become vampires? I what? don't... Yeah, I guess they could. They're a living... living creature. What... What would oh, they be called? Vampiric air rod. Vam rod. No, oh, that doesn't really, like... Vam... Yeah, that's... That's rough. Vam uh, rods. Uh, you know what? Let's go with vam rods. Because I don't... How air... Air pyre. Bam. I'm Bally Raven. And I'm Lycan. And we work for the Bally Raven Cryptid Wildlife Protection Agency. BCWPA for short. With members from across the globe. We collect strange and sometimes unsettling stories. Discover what's fact or fiction. And share it all with you. Join us in the field as we research the world's rarest creatures and phenomenons. But first, we have to take a trip to the archives. Air Rods also called skyfish or flying rods, discovered in 1994. Jose Escamilla claims to have been the first to encounter these organisms. Jose was taping celestial activity when he accidentally filmed the rods. He did not recall seeing any such thing in person, but when he went back through the footage, he saw something incredible. Creatures floating around him. September 26, 2021, a policeman describes an encounter with a sky creature while bicycling. After it rubbed against him, it floated away. He said it felt like a soft blanket and smelled like mildew. It was one of the most terrifying experiences he had ever had. He was convinced that the thing was a living creature. Reports of being physically touched say they felt as if they were being licked by a soft tongue. 
Human investigator Ivan T. Sanderson theorized that many UFOs are actually extremely low-density animals that call the clouds their home. For many, many years, we knew almost nothing about atmospheric beasts. Many believe they are creatures that were released from the dreamscape reality of the sentient mind, or that humans modified earthbound animals to live in the clouds as an experiment. Through modern fey technology, we are now able to travel to the point of origin to the very beginning of life for these magnificent organisms. With this new tech, we are safely transported outside of already dead stars, which are called neutron stars. Atmospheric beasts are formed in the cores of neutron stars. Within the core, subatomic organisms are living, evolving, and dying on incomprehensible scales. Eventually, the neutron star will collapse under the weight of its own gravity to create a black hole. When the neutron star collapses, it pushes out all matter, including atmospheric beasts. These life forms naturally migrate through the black hole's portal and end up here on Earth through what we call window areas. Atmospheric beasts appear as non-sapient, living animals that break the laws of nature. They are able to fly or levitate, but do not always have wings. They have the ability to change in size, some are metallic in color, some glow. Their bodies are described as partially translucent, and as they dance through the air, they seem very fragile semi-solid, or almost entirely invisible. These organisms are often compared to familiar animals. Other names given to them are cloud animals or beasts, sky animals or creatures, and in the Shetland Islands, atmospheric beasts are known as it. Just as sea life is often hidden from view, the clouds form a vast atmospheric sea far above. It is merely an animal existing in the clouds. There are many different types of atmospheric beasts. There are flying jellyfish, sky serpents, cloud whales, and air rods. Flying jellyfish are reported to be round, bulbous, or blong. Its tendrils or ribbons are usually abnormally long and semi-transparent. These jellyfish, which float carefree through the sky, collect whatever particulate they can. A bizarre sort of filter feeder, it has no need to hunt and seems to simply avoid contact when struck. However, the chemical compounds that make up its body grant it strange physical defenses. It is next to impervious to all types of physical damage. Sky serpents are elongated, serpentine, or dragon-like in body type. These serpents move in an undulating fashion, like a snake on sand or in water. Sky serpents can take many forms, but most look similar to brine shrimp. Some reportedly breathe fire or lightning. Cloud whales are the most uncommon atmospheric beast. They may just be called whales because of their massive size. These animals may have prominent features such as mouths, eyes, and flippers, but body parts are generally arranged and shaped in a fashion that looks utterly alien. The largest category of cloud whales compared to the size of supercells. They are referred to as Thunderheads. Studies showed that cloud whales are apex predators. 
Nothing in the Sky Kingdom can compete against one of these massive life forms. When these beasts die, they fall to Earth as a gelatinous mass, usually green, purple, gray, or iridescent jelly that evaporates into nothing within hours. This phenomenon is also known as gelatinous meteorites, or star jelly. Reports of it are worldwide. Gelatinous meteorites are not always connected with atmospheric beasts, but more so to Fortiana that include reports of many different odd things falling from the sky. Rods are translucent, sometimes whitish in color. They seem bizarre, otherworldly, or even terrifying. They are usually four inches to four feet long. They move with extreme fluidity. Many studies prove air rods fly with some unknown method. Air rods are uniform cylinders without any difference between the head end and tail end. It usually has multiple pairs of appendages along the length of the body. Some look like fins. Others have appendages that look like very rapidly beating bees' wings. Others have wide triangular flaps similar to the manta ray. Air rods may be made of small number of thin, transparent surfaces that vibrate or beat the air very quickly. Rods may follow or play with each other. They may also follow people. Flying rods are difficult to see with the naked eye, clearly visible with photography or video, so make sure to bring your camera if you seek to view one. Creatures in today's episode will be described as they are viewed by the most perceptive of their kind. With pentachromatic vision, the sky serpent has five different types of cone cells in their eyes, each able to perceive a different wavelength of light. With these specialized eyes, they can pick up a wider range of colors and weaker luminosities than human eyes. Through their lenses, the semi- or fully transparent forms of atmospheric beasts, their hidden light shows, and their activities are brought completely to life. While most atmospheric beasts are not vocal, we have amplified the sound of their environment, edited so that the beat of their wings and quick movement can be enjoyed. The atmosphere is a bubble of layered gases that wrap around the Earth. Without it, the planet would be uninhabitable. It protects those below from space debris and provides a livable temperature range, among many other things that allow life to exist. We are most familiar with the atmosphere's lowest layer, the troposphere. Beginning at the ground, it is the lowest, wettest, and generally warmest section, stretching as high as 4 to 12 miles. As you climb higher up the troposphere, temperatures grow colder, leaving tall mountains covered in snow even in the summer. Air pressure drops too, which is why planes must be pressurized during flights. Those unsuited to low pressure will experience altitude sickness which worsens the higher and higher you go, and can even lead to death. Almost all of Earth's weather happens here. It is where almost all atmospheric animals can be found, too. Ancestors' interdimensional organisms that found a home here. Atmospheric beasts seem alien, but have lived in the Earth's atmosphere for billions of years. From the smallest, microscopic beings of a hundred micrometers to gigantic and rare beasts of 90 feet. These creatures of the sky are fascinating and entangled, dependent upon each other and a stable atmosphere to survive. Near your shoulders, past your face, 
over your head and far, far above. Minuscule organisms float and swim and fly around you. Called air rods, this category of atmospheric animal contains some of the smallest creatures. You, however, cannot see them except under the most perfect of circumstances. And even then, you probably aren't looking. Translucent, tiny, and predominantly hollow, air rods are generally invisible to all but other kinds of atmospheric beasts. If you could see them, it would likely startle you. Bodies outlined in a stark white, each segment of their worm or centipede-like body is dotted by a pair of eyes and a pair of wings. Some sprout the translucent, long wings of dragonflies, or the shorter, rounder wing of bees, and others, a membrane flap like a flying squirrel, or spindly reaching legs connected by bands of thin flesh. Uniform cylinders, the head is nearly indistinguishable from the end of the animal. The interior of each body part, each section, is almost completely see-through. It would be entirely so if the animals were organless. Where their internal processors reside, a saturation of color beams, yellows, greens, and oranges. All atmospheric creatures are so translucent that food can be observed throughout the entire dietary system, illnesses and abnormalities pinpointed, and pregnancies detected from the outside. Some air rods move like worms or serpents, fluidly curving up and down or side to side, while their see-through, dainty bodies aid in their invisibility. So does their surprising speed. Regardless of their method of locomotion, they can change direction on a whim and with ease, losing little speed in the process. Some flap in billowy ways, others are rhythmically beat, but most rapidly buzz uniformly. Air rods range from one to six inches in length, or form connected colonies that stretch up to four feet. They hunt other air rods, or the tiniest of the atmospheric animals, the atmoplankton. Straight cylinders, curving spools, and ovular discs, atmoplankton are microscopic. Carried by the wind, their light bodies float through the air. Unable to move much, they can shoot forward or adjust speed with aid from an air pump or alter their course with help from two long, spindly fins, or a singular, wavy flap. At the current's whimsy, they feed on sunlight like phytoplankton, moving when needed to reach it. While the winds may carry them high above the clouds and into ideal feeding plains, it can also blow them to the ground. Atmoplankton can survive here, as long as they receive at least a little sunlight each day and avoid copious water or being stepped on. If they're lucky, a gust of wind will send them airborne once more. These tiny organisms feed many air rods, as well as larger filter feeders like sky wells and atmospheric jellyfish. The base of a sprawling food chain, they do not live long or complicated lives relying on rapid reproduction to survive as a community. As atmoplankton feed, they store some of the energy they have gained. The more they have in storage, the greener they glow and the bigger they grow. Well-fed populations of atmoplankton are found high above the clouds, as well as in often sunny places. When currents cluster and tangle them together, the air may take on a visible, slight green tinge. Bright green atmoplankton are at the end of their lives. Going through a process known as multiple fission, the dying parent divides into two or more identical copies of itself. Smaller and gray, its offspring continues the cycle of life.
air rods are divided into two categories, those that feed solely on other kinds of air rods and those that do not. Unlike atmoplankton, air rods interact more with their environment and have a broader, more complex sense of sight instead of only being able to detect light. Herbivorous air rods feed on atmoplankton, as well as flecks of drifting pollen and occasionally tiny, lightweight seeds. These types of air rods are rounded on each end and are often described as more bubbly and wide. A nickname was given to them based on their mouth agape feeding method, flying fish. Small and quick, daytime grazers consume 10 dozen or more atmoplankton a day. Nocturnal grazers eat after sunset or while under cloud cover. These dark time species have a special trait. When hunting for food, they float in place and pulsate with weak, pale light, emanating from a wavy, thin membrane that completely encircles the creature. It quivers hypnotically. This glow activates nearby atmoplankton, who become dormant in the dark and more difficult to spot. While this amazing adaptation helps skyfish feed, it also draws in predators. Carnivorous air rods are keen hunters who have nocturnal flashlight eyes tuned to spot a variety of even the faintest glows, reflections, and shapes. These creatures are unable to function in bright light, but have impeccable vision in complete darkness, able to dodge obstacles, pinpoint the translucent hiding forms of others, and quickly attack. The light produced by other atmospheric beasts is pronounced in air rod eyes. They can not only easily find prey, but spot danger. Grabbing a potential meal by one end with sharp pinchers, the air rod grips the rest of the body with their own, snapping a segment off from their prey, allowing the rest to fall or flutter away. The hunter minces its bite through a tunnel of different sized and shaped teeth, crunching and shredding and breaking apart the hard exterior and gooey interior. As long as one segment remains, the bitten air rod will survive, albeit weaker, slower, and more at risk of further violence. Air rods must continuously feed. Any disadvantage puts them in peril. While all air rods are generally able to escape predation, they are particularly vulnerable during fragmentation, another type of asexual reproduction. Like atmoplankton, air rods are ready to reproduce once enough energy has been stored. Child creating also marks the end of their lives. Air rods begin reproduction by flying high in the sky nearly to the stratosphere, to be obvious and clearly visible to potential mates. Carrying out dazzling performances, each species has its own preferences and displays. Some have bright lights on their wings, creating vibrating neon stripes. Others blink moving patterns across the body, or light up their entire forms in reds, oranges, greens, and yellows. Others perform flight displays, dancing in circles, zigzags, and loops. Air rods that are ready to mate attach themselves to the front or back of a partner. The organism's bodies morph, binding together and swapping genetic material. When enough partners have connected, the air rod ceases to glow and begins to sink. Tethered in breeding colonies, their movement is awkward and slow, though, luckily, they do not need to feed. After a few days, the group breaks up 
separating into smaller versions of themselves. Breeding colonies fragment into at least double the number of air rods that initially congregated. These small, baby air rods are wheat. It takes many months for them to mature and grow strong enough to form young of their own. Courting air rods and colonies are the most vulnerable of their species. Their attention focused elsewhere, energy expended on attracting partners, and their defenses greatly lowered. Predators have a much greater chance of catching them. Atmospheric jellyfish are a unique kind of cloud animal. They lack any semblance of eyes, relying on sensing light and tremors in the air to navigate and detect food, with a round or ovular head that appears bloated or full of air, like a jellyfish or parachute. They are most recognizable for a secondary section made up of tentacle-like appendages, strands, or other lengthy, thin, and numerous pieces. Overall, atmospheric jellyfishes' appearances are very reminiscent of the ocean's jellyfish, hence the name of their categorization. However, flying squids are also considered atmospheric jellyfish. While all flying squids are atmospheric jellyfish, not all atmospheric jellyfish are flying squids. A subcategory, flying squids have two heads, one elongated and large, the other small, round, and retractable, as well as two tentacles or elongated growths that can be hidden away inside the body. Both, however, are filter-feeding omnivores. Carried by wind currents, atmospheric jellies swim through the sky. Unlike air rods, they cannot go against the currents, and are not agile. They rely instead on their great size to survive. There are few dangers for these animals. While other organisms that prey on them do exist, they are most threatened by air pressure. Unable to withstand even slightly higher pressures, atmospheric jellies burst if they are brought too low. Sensitive to pressure changes, they may alter their forms to glide upward or slow down. Strong storms may overcome them regardlessly. Like many smaller cloud animals, atmospheric jellies spend their day seeking sunlight. That's where food is. In sunny spots, the jellies prepare to feed, inflating with air, flattening limbs, and curling them forward all around the body bound on the top of their bulbous heads. The jellies open their mouths. Pushing the held air outwards, the jellies speed forward. The arms trap any small food bits, pushing everything towards their vacuum-like mouth. The gulp passes through a mass of stringy, sticky carpet. Any particulates or creatures in the air is captured in this biological filter the rest flowing past and out of the jelly. After the jellyfish swallows, a chitinous flat scraper runs down the filter, pushing what was trapped in it down and into the stomach. Atmospheric jellyfish must float and propel endlessly, as none of their bodily functions work without air moving through them. Food, however, requires a period of still dormancy, allowing the meals to be digested. Flying squids drift arm forward instead of head forward, much larger than jellyfishes. Flying squids are incapable of propelling themselves at the mercy of the atmosphere. During filter feeding, this animal repeatedly opens and closes its mouth, which lies between its pair of tentacles. So large, it inevitably catches something. Flying squids do not rely on filter feeding to provide the bulk of their meals. Masters of camouflage, 
These animals tuck most of their body within their larger head and fluff up, appearing as a small cloud. Remaining in the middling air between the troposphere and the stratosphere, their powerful limbs whip from hiding, grappling prey, and shoveling it into a larger, secondary mouth filled with spinning spools of small, serrated fangs. The larger the meal, the longer it can rest easy. The second atmospheric layer, the stratosphere, is much different than the troposphere. It has no turbulence, no updrafts, is incredibly dry, and temperatures rise the higher up you go. Tall or nacreous clouds occasionally reach above and into this layer. Most atmospheric beasts reside only in the troposphere. Two kinds, however, have evolved to flip between both. The stratosphere is the breeding pool for atmospheric jellyfish of all kinds. Cloud animals are bright and colorful when romance is on their mind. The entirety of female atmospheric jellyfishes illuminate, bubble, jiggle, and dance when they are seeking a mate. Their heads neon bulbs and their ribbony extremities pulsating or dancing with beams, flashes, and speckles of light. They look to draw the attention of the opposite sex. Atmospheric jellyfish cannot see the entrancing colors they produce, but the display generates a specific type of heat, as well as lures in food animals. The activity creates a lot of motion, enticing nearby jellies even more so. Interested males slowly float towards the larger females. If they like what they see, they hold on to each other's tentacles, twisting together. Not very mobile flyers, the pair fill themselves up with air, ballooning to make their way upwards. Reaching the drier, calmer layer, they release gametes through a multitude of pores on the head. This type of reproduction is called spawning. Weightless, floating eggs spreading out in a cloud, the jellies awkwardly flip themselves upside down with help from each other and release their held breath, propelling back below. Their offspring are mostly safe in the stratosphere. Many of those who would eat them can only exist below. Hoarding jellyfish, however, are not safe, but at risk of attack from flying serpents. Primed to capture them, sky serpents are writhing, many-winged or wingless animals with long, sinuous bodies and dragon-like heads. Shapes described as similar to brine shrimp or Chinese dragons, these creatures swim through the air like a snake in the sand or on the water. There are two types of sky serpent, horned and lightning-tongued. Horned sky serpents have long, sharp faces, confined only to the highest reaches of the troposphere and the lowest of the stratosphere. They must make every interaction with a potential meal a success. Small, thin, and winged, they zoom through the air in coils and wavy lines. Stalked eyes all over the body, they pick up shapes, colors, and movement 360 degrees around them. Able to fly in any direction, against strong currents, and perform impressive aerial maneuvers. While they are not as fast as air rods, they are the strongest flyers of the high sky. As they careen through the air, they pierce through small prey, air rods, small jellies, sky squid young, and even smaller sky serpents. With a prehensile tongue, they retrieve catches from their pointy noses and horns. Sky serpents in less food-rich areas 
have more head spikes than others, upping their chances of spearing valuable prey. Not limited to only small food, horned sky serpents are able to hunt prey much larger than themselves. Spotting jellyfishes and squids, they shoot towards them, aiming for the translucent indicator that marks where their filter resides. Spearing through, just before it, a bony tail fin catches the serpent, snagging parallel against their prey. The tail keeping it in place boomerangs backward. A second piercing attack, this one aims for the smaller, oranger brain. Blaring with color when engaged, it is easier to spot than at other times. If successful, the snake feeds itself for days, even weeks. It also feeds the many carnivorous air rods passing by. If unsuccessful, however, the serpent is in deep trouble. Stuck to the creature and unable to easily unattach from its thrashing foe, it can be battered by the atmospheric jellyfish's strong, sometimes stinging or thorned limbs. The first attack pinning the mouth closed, the combat could also end with two losses and a feast for all else. If an atmospheric jelly can unhook a sky serpent from its body, it can regrow missing tissue and heal. Sky serpents are not as durable, prone to bursting when squeezed, and even more susceptible to air pressure. Their lives can be cut short easily. Known as dragons or magic worms, lightning-tongued sky serpents are wingless marvels. Glistening, stark bodies made up of white lines or dots on translucent forms that even humans can see from a distance. They are large creatures. Their faces are broader and rounded, some only having nubby horns or none at all, in addition to round, earthwormish bodies that look like they are filled with boba pearls. Moving in up-and-down waves, they seemingly swim through the air. Covered in large pores that open and close, and possessing several air bladders throughout the body, they hold and expel air, adjusting their speed, weight, and direction. Slower than their horned relatives, these creatures depend on an ability that is almost magical. From head to tail, the boba pearls seen from outside are actually several rows and bands of round, air-filled nodules. As the creature undulates and air is pushed past them, the bubbles rub each other. As the magic worms fly, sparks shimmer within. Inside, they are generating a powerful shock. Building up a charge, the animal only releases its energy towards prey or other sky serpents. When a target is acquired, a long projectile forked tongue jets out, making contact and embedding into a prey's body. As cloud animals are gelatinous creatures made mostly of water, electricity is very damaging. When these organisms' bodies are heated or overly pressurized, it transforms into a different substance altogether, star jelly. Magic worms consume the substance alongside whole, small prey, siphoning up the falling liquid with a secondary tongue, a siphoning tube. Sky serpents are not like other atmospheric beasts. They do not take part in courtship rituals. Once per year, they seek a mate, whomever they see first. The twisting, quick greeting is the only socialization of their kind, and the interaction is only a few seconds long. Egg layers and fertilizers 
both serpents bear young after a coupling. To lay, they scour the stratosphere for unbothered clutches of jellyfish eggs. If a sky serpent has already deposited eggs into a hatchery, they may destroy them, replacing them with their own. Alternatively, they may choose to seek another location instead. If better areas cannot be found, though, they will lay in the open air instead. Sky serpent hatchlings feed on the eggs of atmospheric jellies, as well as recently hatched young. If ample food is not nearby, they will cannibalize their siblings. There is a final classification of atmospheric beasts. The largest, it sits at the very top of the food chain. It has no natural predators and can eat anything in its path. The cloud whale. Surprisingly, for a creature of such massive size, it is the most elusive. Very little is known about them. Cloud whales do not really resemble whales much at all. They are billowing thunderheads with three pairs of chunky flippers that wave out of sync on the underside, with large heads that taper downward into stubby tails and high, rising upper backs. The shape is reminiscent of a humpback or sperm whale. Large specimens are almost only found proceeding or alongside massive storms, hidden among other large thunderheads. Round, black, beady eyes appear in clusters, some on the chin of the animal, others on the head's top, side, and snout. To those viewing the creature from below when it is active, it is not transparent or very strange at all, only a fluffy, darkening cloud. If one stares long enough, though, oddities can be spotted. Horizontal stripes flicker or stream with white, yellow, and orange light. These generally blend in with lightning storms, but when isolated or separate from a storm entirely, they can be troubling. They also appear more animated than normal clouds, moving in unusual or eye-catching ways, floating quicker, or even moving backward. When feeding, a growing triangle appears in the cloud whale, followed by a drop in air pressure and a series of unsettling noises. Sounding like metal scraping against metal, or an echoing trumpet, and in rare instances, muffled roars, cloud whales' screeches have been documented numerous times and posted online, often under the title, Heavenly Trumpet. Are weird sounds in the sky. While the noises they produce can be heard everywhere, even inside of thick buildings, the feeding pose can be difficult to observe, especially on the ground. Best seen from far away and in high elevations, opening wide and far, a growing, inverted tornado. There is little resemblance of a head in this pose. Massive filter feeders. Cloud whales inhale all but the largest of sky squids. Once finished eating, they slowly dissipate, as invisible as an air rod. Even sky serpents have trouble spotting cloaked sky whales, either due to their massive size stretching their membrane incredibly thin, or a specialized adaptation. Even serpents are surprised when one wakes from dormancy and draws it into oblivion. Other activities of cloud whales are unknown. There have been observations of small cloud whales near large cloud whales, and small, solitary individuals of various sizes, lending to the belief that they reproduce while camouflaged, are born small and may be sexually dimorphic. 
there are not many stories or detailed sightings of cloud whales. The one account online has claimed to have seen a small one spit a stream of horizontal water across the sky. Only one account of an active cloud whale has been observed outside of stormy weather. The connection between weather and the whales has not yet been determined. The habitat of atmospheric beasts are being threatened by climate change and pollution. Efforts for cleaner air and green energy are not only necessary to preserve these beautiful animals, but to prevent atmospheric blooms. As algae blooms are detrimental to underwater organisms, atmospheric blooms are deadly to air-breathing creatures. Out-of-control populations of atmoplankton are on the rise. Inhaling too many may cause a variety of respiratory illnesses, some fatal. These issues will only grow with intensity as more greenhouse gases are added to the atmosphere, and atmoplankton-eating animals grow fewer and fewer. Consider donating to the Clean Air Task Force, a charity dedicated to meeting the world's rising energy demand in a way that is financially, socially, and environmentally sustainable, and to push technology and policy changes needed to achieve a zero-emissions, high-energy planet. Visit catf.us to learn more. The act of studying atmospheric beasts is called sky fishing, and you can do it too. Using any sort of camera or recording device, go outside on cloudy days or nights and take plenty of pictures and videos. While you won't see them with your eyes, if you have managed to capture one, they will show up as gray, blue, or white ghostly blurred figures, sometimes with metallic edges or wavy outer lines. For best results and captures, set out to record at the darkest time of night. Air rods seemingly prefer heavily wooded areas, though all atmospheric beasts appear with higher frequency in high elevations. Groups of congregating atmospheric beasts, or large ones, can be pinpointed by finding patches of less darkness at night. Either due to their size or numbers, the light they give off is substantial enough even for us to see. Cloud animals are a fun and safe option for new cryptid hunters to enjoy. Safe and fun, no one has ever been attacked by any kind of atmospheric beast, and they pose no danger. Quite playful, those that have spent a lot of time in the wild with air rods notice that if you stay out long enough, they will swoop within inches of camera devices, and may even follow people home. As sky fishing is most successful in nighttime photography and film, be prepared for other nocturnal, possibly dangerous organisms that lurk in your area. Be wary of seeking and following cloud whales, as they are associated with active or forming thunderstorms, so always practice storm safety. And as always, be respectful of nature and others' property. If you or someone you know has seen an atmospheric beast or has information about them, contact the BCWPA. We would also love to see any photos or videos you take on skyfishing adventures. Tag the BCWPA on Instagram or Facebook at In the Field Pod or In the Field. If you are interested in other strange flying cryptids, read about the aerial manta rays found above the Ohio River. If you're more curious about transparent cryptids, look into the English fog entity, the shapeless, or the boneless. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you join us next time for another adventure into the field. For more BCWPA in your life, discover the beginning of the organization, see how cryptids and other entities are researched, and follow the adventures of Bali and Lycon. Into the Field is an illustrated adventure.
where you can read stories like Discovering the Underdimension. Ground control. I found out where they are coming from. Ground control, do you copy? This is Lon 2. Tyrese the Troll, do you copy? Finding passage to Earth through the void. Into the Field. Available for free on Patreon, Webtoons, and Instagram. This program is brought to you by the Ballyraven Patreon and its BCWPA agents Kimberly Nichols, Ede Daniels, Anthony Ferris, Agus Mercado, Conjurdust Designs, Claire, Cryptid Clyde, Christina Baker, Tanya Downing, Julia Teague, Matthew Shang. Shelby Fulton, Donovan Scherer, Heather, Michael Shang, Tracy and Lita Puckett, T. Carter Ross, Ronald Miller, Daniel Berry, and listeners like you. A special thank you to Hole Dweller for allowing us to use his song, Departing Dwilland at Sunrise, for Into the Fields theme. Make sure to check out his music on Spotify and Instagram.